Thank God for Sabrina, because I was already starting the episode and we hadn't even clicked record. Yeah, you were like, hey. And I was like, wait, what? This is not how <laughs> like, we no. do it. But if we were in person and I was in charge of clicking it and I didn't, we might not have known. That's true. You caught but me. We're not in person. Not yet. I no. hope to see you very Sadly. soon. Yes, because you're heading out this way. Visiting some family and I count as family, so you're going to visit me. You do. <laughs> you do. I am. I'm going to be there for a christening, a baptism. I'm going to be a godmother, and I'm really excited. Mother knows best. What should we call you? Should we only call you fairy godmother Godmother Sabrina moving forward? Okay, great. Or do you have any other pitches? Well, I don't know that I would be like a fairy godmother. If anything, I'd be like a witchy godmother. A witchy godmother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is like in our Boston show when my... My dad's cousin, Jay, who I call Uncle Jay, was in the crowd, remember? And you picked on him because he said he didn't believe. But he was like way up in the balcony. So I couldn't see who it was. And we're like, who is that? And he was like, your godfather. <laughs> he is my godparent. Yeah. <laughs> if my parents die, he has to, I have to go live with him. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> so No matter how old you are, you go to live with your godparents. Yeah. I'm going to be 60 years old being like, Jay? <laughs> It's time that I move in. <laughs> oh, man. I I do just picture practical magic and oh. living. Like, it, that's the type of godmother I will be. If, God As forbid, knock on wood, do any of your, like, stitious, superstitious, I'm a little stitious things that nothing ever mm-hmm. happens to Lexi or my family right. or Johnny. But I would be a freaking sick-ass witch to live with. Have you thought about things that you'll do when Noemi's a little bit older that like make sleepovers at your house really fun or like when auntie comes to town, you do this or that? Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, I don't really know what kind of things she's into yet, you know? True. Got to dazzle her. Surprise and delight. Yeah. You got to show her what she could like. She doesn't get exposed to. I am proud of myself. This will have happened already because this episode comes out in 2024. But for Christmas, I got everyone little gifts and I got Noemi a sweatshirt that says like, my auntie is my favorite or something like that. But Mm -hmm. then I got myself a candle that says my favorite aunt or best aunt. (laughs) And I'm going to put it in my stocking and I'm going to open it and be like, oh my God, Noemi, stop it. Stop this it. This is so sweet of you. I cannot believe you got me this for my first Christmas as an aunt. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good one. And sometimes you have to gift things to yourself. A hundred percent. Who doesn't finish shopping for themselves before moving on to other people? Because I certainly buy almost nothing for anyone else until I've purchased everything that has intrigued me first. Fair. You know what has horrified me is the amount of money I spent on Christmas gifts. Oh, yeah. I'm with you there. And given that we just bought a house, this is the least amount of money we've ever actually spent on Christmas because it's like our poor Christmas. <laughs> like we house don't poor. have 
my parents were like, you could just pay for us when we go out to dinner with you guys one time. And I was like, okay. And so I got like a couple other little things to put in their stockings. And then Brian's parents, they wanted a Dyson vacuum. So we went in on it with my sister-in-law and her husband. So four of us pitched in for the Dyson. So things got a little bit more affordable, but it was kind of like a, I feel like I was used to multiple presents, like buying multiple things for people. And it has been a one present Christmas. We're growing up. And you know what? I kind of like it. And you know what? At this point in our age, I feel like a lot of the times we end up buying things for ourselves if we want them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the gifts that personally I end up getting for Christmas, I don't really need. And as much as I love gifts, I'm trying to simplify my life and declutter because I have too much. Exactly. I did recut my hair. So from last week's episode. Love it. It's a little more wolfy, a little more. It's lighter. I like rocker with your sweatshirt too. (laughs) It looks sick. Oh my gosh. What's her name? Rocky. I should wear the wig from Bride of the 13th show. Rocky. (laughs) I was thinking about that show in particular and our Halloween shows the other day because I don't remember what I was looking at, but it was some video where there was some sort of like theme to a party. And everyone was like to a T, exactly. Like no one messed with the theme at all. And I was like, this wouldn't work for Sabrina because you love to bend the rules. And I was like, I can't play a serious game with you because I know that you'll find a way. A loophole. Oh, you'll find a loophole. <laughs> they do call me loophole Sabrina. <laughs> Big hole Sabrina. Jesus Big Christ. hole? Sorry. My gosh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, this is Two Girls, One Ghost. <laughs> i'm so glad that that was the transition two girls one ghost (laughs) that's big old sabrina over there big hole sabrina and you'll be i don't know big tits corinne big booby i do have double d's with me right right now dunkin donuts (laughs) isn't it just dunkin nowadays it is here's the sound of the ice Ice coffee, baby. Okay, well, I'm going to give some uh, ASMR sounds as well. I'm going to open oh. a White Claw. I'm just kidding. It's a Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> what flavor? I'm not confident I've ever had a Celsius, to be honest. I also slurped it really loudly, which I don't <laughs> drink like that. I just did it on purpose mm. for ASMR purposes, but hey. It's okay. I did strawberry guava. I love that Celsius. Sounds really good. I think you would be allergic to a lot of them. It's the difficulty of having a million allergies. My brother asked me an interesting question the other day. Mm-hmm. The reason we have allergies is something went wrong in my mom's pregnancy with me. And when she got pregnant with me, that is when her very first allergy started, which was apples. So basically, we're oh. thinking like something with the hormones or the blood or I don't know how it works, but it's really random that like the second she has a child, allergies begin and then I have the same allergies and then my brother has the allergies after. My brother was like, do you think when you have kids, Corinne, that it will reverse Reverse. the allergies and then you'll be allergy free? I was like, oh my God, I've never thought about that, but that would be amazing. That would be really cool. I'm curious if there is a medical professional out there, if they can help us solve this mystery, because it's clear, I'm sure people have done studies on it, but my mom also never had a cavity in her life. 
And when she was pregnant with me, she got a cavity. And of all three kids, I am cavity prone. Oh. None of my siblings are. It's so weird. And also, as babies, we leave behind our DNA inside of our moms. Like, they will forever have parts of our DNA in them. So I feel like we really just fucked our moms over. Oh, 100%. Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. But that's okay. She passed on some trauma to me. You know, we it goes back and forth. It's, it's a, an exchange. Yeah. Give <laughs> Lifelong <me>. exchange of <laughs> back oddities and, forth. and traumas. <laughs> um, that could be our new autobiography together. It's the lifelong exchange of oddities and traumas. I love it. Okay. And it's only a picture book. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one of the things that I did when I was at Trauma and Beyond my intensive outpatient therapy that I did last year mm-hmm. was drawing your feelings. So they gave you an outline of a human body and mm-hmm. you could like using colors and markers draw in like feelings and emotions and like where you feel certain things and like scribble. And it was one of the most cathartic things. And then we, it felt very much like show and tell you like showed everyone else in the group what yours looked like. And it was just uh, interesting to see where I associate and where I feel certain feelings. Like my stomach mm-hmm. is one of the biggest ones and I have so many gut problems and I'm like, I think that's where I hold my trauma. And right. so I imagine our picture book will be filled with different <laughs> images like that and people have just to- Just the first page, chapter three, and then it's just like a scribble around the gut <laughs> or just multicolor rainbow around the throat. Oh, what does that imply? That you can't speak up because no one listens to you. And so you have to only rely on yourself. Oh, or it can also be like, okay, I like this. We're <laughs> dissecting this hypothetical drawing that we haven't drawn yet. But I like the <laughs> idea of a rainbow around the throat because it's like, I feel strangled and I can't speak, but I know what I have to say and my voice is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just, it doesn't turn into you not expressing yourself or not getting what you need. It just turns into you being the one that fulfills it for yourself. Where it's like, yeah, you want to rely on other people. You want to be heard. But at the same time, you yourself are being very strong and you're self-reliant now. And you have to hear yourself. Yes. Okay. We're going to make up a whole book of these things. (laughs) We draw the things first and then we decide what the meaning is behind it. Or you decide what the meaning is. We draw it and you can journal next to it what you interpret it to be. What does this mean for you? And how do you psychoanalyze Corinne and Sabrina? Because clearly there's a lot to analyze here. And how does it all relate to ghost stories, which is why we've (laughs) gathered here today? That's a great question. It doesn't. No, but I am really excited about this episode because I decided to do a little bit of like a different, it's a topic, but it's a much bigger topic. I basically did a haunted town. A whole town? A whole town. But there was so much that I'm actually going to do one of the places in the town that had too much to include in just this episode. I'm going to do that Mm -hmm. as an entire episode. It's going to be our first bonus episode actually on Patreon. So... Hell yeah. And if you hadn't heard the news about our Patreon, we're now releasing episodes ad-free and one week early there. Mm-hmm. And we're doing one extra episode only posted on Patreon. It won't be on our regular feed. Every month. Every single month. 
So today's episode is about Alton, Illinois. Mark Twain once said, Alton, Illinois is a dismal little river town. (laughs) Dismal. I thought it was going to be like some beautiful description, but Mark Twain does not like this town. Dismal, meaning gloomy, depressing, dreary, lacking in merit, particularly bad from Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. And listen, I usually wouldn't speak ill of a literary great like Mark Twain. Okay, if you look at my Instagram bio, I literally have a Mark Twain quote in my Instagram bio. It's about cats, isn't it? It is, because Mark Twain once said, when a man loves cats, I am his friend and comrade without further introduction, which couldn't be more true. If you like cats, we're going to get along just great. If you don't, and if you're allergic, it just takes a little bit more time to warm up. Or you can like the ghosts, like you, Corinne, and then, you know, it's basically the same thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I like ghost cats. Yeah, that's true. Which I might have one with me. This is the figurine supposed to be haunted by a ghost cat. Okay. So usually I regard Mark Twain pretty highly, but when I read this, I was like, "Mm -mm. you know what, Mr. Twain, I might have to disagree with you here. We can still be comrades because you like cats, but we are going to have a little bit of a disagreement because I'm going to paint a very different picture of Alton, Illinois for you today. I'm going to give you a little intro to it, but I picture this like an infomercial. Imagine me, I don't know, with a perm, wearing a white button down, almost like an airline stewardess with a patterned Mm. ascot. And picture cheery music playing as images of this town flood your field of vision. Alton, Illinois, a town you'd like to call home. It's picturesque, (laughs) settled upon the banks of Mississippi River, just across the river from Missouri. This picture-perfect small town is one Ray Bradbury wrote about. Super Americana, quaint, Victorian Queen Anne-style homes, stone churches, red brick buildings, rich with Mm. history, houses that are generations old, passed down through families. Lovely. But there is one thing that sets Alton, Illinois, apart from all other small towns in America. Alton, Illinois, is America's most haunted small town. Boom. That's the opening scene to the first television show we'll write together. I Great. feel like that's our, that could be our stable move where it's just one of us dressed up like a Stepford wife. That's exactly. I was trying to do like a Stepfordy voice. Yes. I loved it. I'm glad that I painted the picture accurately. Alton, Illinois, where the paranormal is normal. That's right. It's haunted <laughs> AF. Y'all need that as your bumper stickers over there. Yeah. Where the paranormal's normal. Many buildings within this small town have been featured on notorious paranormal TV shows. Many residents are neighbors, not strangers, to the ghostly residents. And Mm. here's a beautiful picture of the Alton skyline. We'll insert it into the video. Stunning. Stunning. But to accurately share the haunting tales of Alton, Illinois, first we are going to revisit my what I once hated, now in my adult years love history. We'll travel back through time, talk through the history of Alton, Illinois, talk about the history of the land. Then we'll knock on some of the doors of several haunted buildings in the town and discuss the ghosts, the legends, and the lore. Perfect. And yes, I know I've painted such a serene picture of Alton, Illinois, but I do need to warn you because Alton, Illinois is or was the home to the bird that devours man. A pterodactyl? 
basically. More on that later, though. <laughs> I'm so curious. Can I just say something that's completely unrelated to this, but has to do with birds? Of course. Brian and I, we were playing Trivial Pursuit the other day, and I was losing terribly. But then we had two categories that involved birds, and I fucking swept, and I won the whole game. You should join, like, the Audubon Society. I got no bird questions wrong. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't think I knew this much. (laughs) That's amazing. Don't be embarrassed. That's awesome. Hey, it made me win. So Yeah, exactly. There we go. Win at all costs. That's all that matters. (laughs) You're big old Sabrina, and I'm the bird lady of, I don't know. (laughs) Of the north. Of the north. Alton, Illinois, as I said, sits upon the Mississippi River. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I I did that right. Because the last time I tried to do that, I did it very wrong. So I practiced a couple times before recording this episode. (laughs) What did you call it again? I think I said M-I-S-S-I-P-P-I-S-S-I. I don't know. I said something. Mrs. Pissy. Mrs. Pissy. That's what I said. Mrs. Pissy. Okay, but it's not only known for its riverside accommodations, I guess. I don't know. That's not the right word. But anyway, it also boasts beautiful limestone bluffs that surround the entire town. And there was one quote that I read that people who come to Alton, aside from Mark Twain, apparently, are stirred to creativity and to stay and write and paint and draw. Beautiful landscape. They just get absorbed. Again, except for Mark Twain. No, Mark was missing something. I wonder what Alton did to, to him. What happened to him, to Mark Twain there? Someone broke his heart in Alton, <laughs> Illinois. Maybe. And also, like all of our stories in all of America, this land belonged to Native Americans. It was home to the Illinois Native Americans. They were made up of 12 to 13 tribes, and they resided along the Mississippi River. The population before colonists came was in the tens of thousands. They lived off the land, they harvested crops, they hunted, they farmed, they fished, and all 12 to 13 tribes were led by one great chief, but then each of the smaller tribes had their own chiefs. Mm. And I do want to say, I mean, it's I'm not the person who is educated enough to speak on this topic, but it was sad in doing the research. Like anything I found about the Ilmyoke tribes is like written from a colonist perspective rather than a tribal yeah. perspective. And I do think that is kind of a, a sentiment globally. And it's pretty devastating. That is sad. It's also wild that in school, we're almost like brainwashed a little bit because yeah. we enter first grade and they make us sing, this land is your land. This land is my land from mm-hmm. California to the New York Islands or whatever. However it goes. But it's like we're it's not, though. <laughs> no. Nope. No. Nope. I mean, even Thanksgiving. Yikes. Like, when we learned about Thanksgiving growing up, it was like, oh, everyone coming together in peace and harmony. And it's like, oh, no, we don't learn about the slaughtering of any. Yeah. Anyway, that, this is not the point of the episode. I just think it no. is notable to comment on. And believe it or not, after doing all of this, like, searching, I was trying to find documents and stuff from Native American tribal people themselves Mm -hmm. and the one website that i actually ended up finding something on was the nrc government website which is actually the u.s nuclear regulatory commission what in the hell did they have to say about this i have no idea but they had 
I think there's this document that's in the Illinois National, like there's some history museum there and they have a document that someone transcribed and it's on this website. I don't know, but it documents what life was like for them. So basically this document is kept in the Illinois State Museum and shares stories of the Illinois tribes and describes the lifestyle they had lived prior to colonists coming and taking their land. Mm -hmm. They lived in bark or reed mat covered framework lodges and there would be four to five families per lodge in the fall tribes would move into the plains by foot and do the buffalo hunts and then february was the agreed upon and accepted time of year for war between tribes apparently yeah whoa so they basically had the purge before the purge was even a concept it was just like save all your tension and your words and your upset for february and then we'll just hash it out then yes and apparently was looked down upon to kill it was more of a victory if you took captives and so basically like throughout the year women children men would die and so when they would go on these wars and have these wars they would take captive men women children and then basically adopt them into their family to replace anyone they had lost throughout the year oh my gosh it's so sad when you put it it is very sad i also don't understand how this happened if they all had one kind of like head chief wouldn't you think there'd be something that's like hey don't do that i mean think about a government you have a president and then you have like government officials and there's still problems between states and you know I guess that's true. One person can't just like make everyone obey. I guess it's proof that on a much smaller scale, it's kind of still a government. Human nature. Yeah. They played lacrosse. They gambled. They raced recreationally. They had many rituals and religious ceremonies that they practiced. And then their world was turned upside down when the French came and colonized. And despite their, in quote, willingness, but I probably like their need to survive, ability to adapt, their population went from tens of thousands down to the thousands and just was really depleted when colonists came and colonized the land. They were forced to move west. And sadly, like I was saying, a lot of what we know now comes from the colonists and people who didn't really understand them, couldn't really communicate with them, or comes from archaeological studies and more of like historical research that has been done now. But this is interesting. So French colonists Louis Joliet and Father Jacques Marquette were among the first colonists to explore the Mississippi River Bend in 1673. While they were exploring, they came upon this bluff, and it is in what is now Alton, Illinois, and they saw a horrifying, terrifying image on the face of the rock. They were stopped in their tracks by this image. It was so terrifying. It was a pictograph, which they didn't know at the time what this was or what it was, but we now know it was a pictograph made by the Illinois tribes, and we'll insert a photo of what it looked like, but I'm going to tell you about it first. In the rocks was a monster drawn into the face of the bluff. Both of these men documented the monster in their journals and said it was as large as a calf with deer-like horns on its head. It had red eyes and a man-like bearded face. Their bodies were covered in scales with long tails that wound completely around their bodies. What 
is this monster, you may ask? What is this horrifying being? It was the Piasaw, P-I-A-S-A, pronounced Piasaw, which translates to the bird that devours man. Proof of pterodactyls existing. <laughs> the Thunderbird. It's real. It kind of is Thunderbird-like. It also, I mean, y'all know I love a good conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Kind of looks like a dragon. Looks an awful lot like a dragon. Even it has does. the beard. Mm-hmm. And almost like the antler situation going on. Yeah. Scales, a long tail. It's like a dragon with a bald eagle's claw. Apparently it was massive too. So imagine this swooping down towards you. And this, so these two men, the Frenchmen, they see this imagery and they're so horrified by it because they're like, what is this? Does this lurk around here? Right. Because they don't know what sort of animals are. Right. It very well could be an accurate depiction. Right. Although I do think it's funny that they were so scared because in the photo, it does kind of look like it's smiling for the camera <laughs> like turning its head and it's like cheese like cheese. holding the smile for a really long time mm-hmm. the legend of the piasaw has become a bit muddled over the centuries the story was told through pictographs so there were no like written words to the legend of it but mm. i am going to share one version that i read and the piasaw legend and lore remains very very prominent and important to Alton, Illinois. And this is like an archaeological marker that has actually informed a lot of history about what it was like and life was like for the Illinois tribes. So as the story goes, centuries before the French and the white men came to colonize, a giant bird with antler-like horns, horrible red eyes, a man-like face, a body covered in scales, and a long snake-like tail soared the skies of the Illinois land, and it searched for prey. It was so large, so powerful, a beast that would swoop down from the highest heights in seconds at an alarming speed and sink its claws into even the largest and heaviest of animals and carry it off with ease. I mean, this thing is so big. Imagine like a little field mouse trying to go up against a eagle. Yeah, it's like that. You don't stand a chance. Like you maybe don't. you get lucky. You don't. That they missed you, but it's not really because of anything you did. Right. And this beast terrorized the tribes. It earned the name Piasa because the word translates to bird that devours man, which is what it did. The Piasa would descend into tribal villages and take away unsuspecting victims, carry them off, never to be seen again. The Ilnyok came together and they would send out like their best warriors to go and try to defeat this Piasaw, but they failed time and time again. The only thing that they were ever able to discover was a cave in these limestone bluffs. Mm. They came into it and they found a cave full of bones and skulls where it oh, wow. presumably had taken all of the victims and yeah had a snack. So it's not like it's nesting up on a cliff and somewhat exposed. Like it hides and lurks in caves. I also wonder the tactics that they used to try to hunt it down. I am curious if they ever attempted to just use one of the group members as bait. Just had them like lay down. Well, did they? So Chief Watoga feared for his family, for his friends, 
And so he decided to fast and pray in solitude. So he spent many days, many nights in a tent by himself, praying to the great spirit. And he was fasting this entire time. So on the last night of his fast, it was the last night because of what happens. But Mm -hmm. on this very last night, Chief Watoga goes to sleep. And in his dream, the great spirit appears to him and instructs him to pick 20 of his best warriors, to arm them with bows and arrows with poison tips. He was told that 19 of those 20 warriors were to hide in designated spots. And the 20th warrior was to stand in plain sight as bait. Did they have to draw straws? Like who, how did they know who? I'll tell you. Was bait. In the dream, the great spirit shows that as the Piasaw comes for the bait, all the other men were to shoot their arrows at the beast. So Chief Watoga wakes up and immediately gets to work. He selects his best man. He picks 19 men and he decides he will be the 20th. He would sacrifice himself. Honestly, that is an honorable thing to do. Correct. Yeah. Good Because also, if you think about it, if this creature is so incredibly fast, I would presume that when you're standing there as bait, all the men who are supposed to be saving you and protecting you and shooting down this beast are probably not moving quickly enough in their own terror and the amount of time it takes like a human to process what's going on to actually shoot it while it's far away from you. There's a chance you yourself even get speared with. That's exactly it. So he knew that it was basically a suicide mission because right. there's so many ways you could die in this situation. One, the Piasaw could get you. Mm-hmm. One claw into your neck would kill you. Or your own men who are shooting poisoned arrows towards this beast. 19 arrows flying towards you. Like, you're bound to get hit by one. Yeah. So the men... And Chief Watoga went out and 19 of them hid in the surrounding areas as Chief Watoga stood in plain sight. And as he did, he chanted the death song because he was certain he was going to die. It gives me chills to just think about someone in that moment. He had like painted his face like too in like the battle paint and was chanting the death song of a warrior. And sure mm-hmm. enough, the Piasaw came, reaching its deathly sharp claws for the chief. It descended swift as a thunderbolt and the warriors pulled back their arrows and shot them off. 19 arrows shot off towards this beast. All 19 arrows poisoned were flying towards Chief Watoga and the Piasaw. Time slowed as Chief Watoga welcomed death and all of a sudden a horrible, terrible shriek resounded across the land. The beast had been struck. It was an unearthly and horrendous sound, like pain unlike anything else. Chief Watoga expected death to come swiftly, but nothing. He opened his eyes to find the Piasaw slain at his feet, all 19 arrows penetrating his scaly skin. Not a single one had missed. 
Not a Whoa, single one that is incredible. had hurt Chief Watoga. I'm shocked. As I'm sure all of, the, all of this group was as well. In a Whoa. dream after this event, the Great Spirit visited him and said he protected him with a, like a bubble, basically, due to how honorable he was and his intentions were. Mm. So finally, this beast was slain. The beast was slain. I'm very curious, too, about the sound that the beast made. Because I don't know if you've heard this or if other people out there have heard the update, but they recently updated what they believe the T-Rex actually sounded like Oh, based on the study of other animals and just more things that we know about like vocal boxes and the size of this animal. And chickens. <laughs> and you know how we think of T-Rexes as like having this like big, like deep, like Rawr! it's so much scarier. The new sound that they believe it made is like this. You know in horror movies like The Fog or The Mist, how there's almost like a low rumble in the distance, mm -hmm. like a, a foghorn or like a siren? It kind of sounds like that where it's like a – like really deep. And oh. then there's like clicking over it like a ch – ch 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 ch. I, can't, I can't describe it, but it is terrifying. Can we insert it? Yes. But my point being is that T-Rex is a huge creature that they believe actually the little arms weren't useless arms, but they were actually wings. And so it makes me think like this creature is also a winged creature that is quite large. Is it a T-Rex? <laughs> is this a baby T-Rex? Could they <laughs> – baby T-Rexes could fly and they had tails and then their little tail nubs dropped off like a little tadpole. Mm -hmm. And then they got too heavy to fly, and that's when they turn into land creatures. Land rexes, which is chickens. <laughs> it's true. And now we eat them. <laughs> a couple times a week. <laughs> Full circle. They used to eat us, and now we eat them. I don't, though, like how I said that's so high and mighty. Like, I'm not. Plants have feelings, too, so... And I didn't make this choice. My mom did for me. So. Since we're coming off of the holiday season, let me give you one more quick random fact. Please. Did you know that holly leaves, you know, when you think of a holly leaf, how they're kind of like jagged yeah. around the edge? Mm -hmm. That is only true of holly leaves that are low on the tree or on the bush or whatever they grow on because deer will come and eat the leaves. And oh. as soon as it sends signals, like as soon as the plant knows that they're being eaten, they will change their structural shape. To be really so jagged cool. and pokey so that they will spike the deer to and not be themselves. eaten. Survival. Yes, but it only happens on the lower region. So the upper part of the plant will still have really like sleek round Wow. Because plants are alive. They are. And we eat them. <laughs> <laughs> Circle of life. Okay, so the Piasaw is dead and has been slain. And the Illinois people drew the image of the Piasaw into the limestone bluffs as a way to remember the story and remember the danger that once threatened and once lurked their people. Sadly, the Piasaw was not the threat that ultimately devoured them. Because what is scarier than monsters? Humans. Man. Because the colonists came many years later 
And they ultimately were the undoing and devourers of the Ilan Yoke tribes. So for centuries, the colonists would pass these pictographs that the pious saw and would be terrified, instilled with fear. And despite colonization, the legend of the Piasaw does live on. And like I said, it's very important to the people of Alton, Illinois. It's actually the Piasaw is the mascot of the Alton High School. The original pictograph, I think, has been through time, has had a lot of like decay. And there's been a lot of money put into restoring it, which I think is beautiful and great. They take a lot of pride in it. So with the Piasaw defeated, the colonists took over the role of beast. And the first colonist settlement in Alton, Illinois was in 1783. And then Alton, Illinois was officially founded in 1817 by Colonel Rufus Easton, who named it Alton after his son, Alton Easton. They had a ferry service erected very quickly, and Alton became a booming river town where a lot of people would come to trade. It was growing really, really fast. It was growing faster than St. Louis. And it was on its way to becoming what we know St. Louis to be today. Like it was going to be the metropolis of Illinois. But there were a bunch of businessmen who were more invested in St. Louis's success that they ended up creating another town to basically divert any business away from Alton and back to St. Louis. And it worked. Got to protect your investments. It worked. So basically Alton, while it still saw some success, it did just kind of become stale in terms of increasing and becoming larger. Stale or might we say dismal? (laughs) It became dismal. Maybe that's what Mark Twain visited. (laughs) So now in 2020, the 2020 census, there was a population of about 25,000 people. So it's not tiny, tiny, but it's a small town. Mm -hmm. And so before we dive into more of the paranormal stories, there are some more notable historical facts that I really want to go over. The land saw a lot of death. Like you can tell there was the murder of a lot of the natives. There was war, slavery. There were flooding. It's like a lot of floods. There's one industrial building that has markers and the dates of all the floods. And it marks where the flood reached up to. And I think the greatest flood was actually the year we were born, 1993. And people were without water and power for over a week. Like it was a pretty, pretty detrimental flood. Vermont flooded again too. I feel like the floods just kind of, you get like an unlucky bout of a few years where it just kind of wrecks the area. But I do like this idea that this building is almost like a, like when you're a kid, you're like measuring your height on the wall. This building is doing that for floods. And that's actually funny because, well, I'll tell you that in a second. Because height is important in Alton, Illinois, and you'll find out in a second. But there is some debate on this one because, and I think it's like, basically Abraham Lincoln had one duel in his whole lifetime. And people say it happened in Alton, Illinois, but I think it was like close to Alton, Illinois. So it's one of those things where people are like, oh, Abraham Lincoln had his duel here, but it happened closer to St. Louis. Mm. But I love this story because this is young Abraham Lincoln, 1842. He got into a tiff, like a verbal argument and debate over banking in Illinois with this man named James Shield. And they were like going at each other and they were going below the belt. But apparently Lincoln took it way below the belt. He's friends with this guy who runs a journal in Illinois. And 
Abraham Lincoln writes a letter under a fake name, pretending to be this woman named Rebecca, who... He is the original catfish? Yeah. So... (laughs) (laughs) I know. This is such a fun story. Okay, so he pretends to be this woman, Rebecca, and he writes this letter to the journal, pretending to be this woman, Rebecca, and Rebecca writes about an encounter with James Shield. In the letter, it says, and this is like, as if I'm Rebecca... His very features in the ecstatic agony of his soul spoke audibly and distinctly. So she's saying that James said this to her and to other women. Dear girls, it is distressing, but I cannot marry you all. Too well I know how much you suffer, but you do, do remember. It is not my fault that I am so handsome and so interesting. (laughs) You know what the sad part is? It's very believable that someone would say that. Yeah. So he's being painted as the Gaston of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So this is published in the journal. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is furious. Furious. And he's like, I know I didn't say this. Who wrote this? He demands to find out. Finds out somehow that Lincoln wrote it. And... Keep in mind, this is all like they're arguing about banking institutions. I love drama of historical figures. Everyone's always so petty. He basically challenges Lincoln to a duel. And there's like so much more to this. If you want to read the story, it's hilarious because he apparently had like the court deliver a letter to Lincoln and Lincoln was almost like, smuh, this is written terribly. Basically, it was like, write this better if you're going to challenge me to a duel. I can't even imagine. Like, that would piss me off even more. The way that duels worked is if you were the one who was challenged to the duel, you got to pick the weapons that you fought with. So Lincoln chose a cavalry broadsword of the largest size. And basically, because he's like, I didn't want to select pistols because if I selected a pistol, I knew that like death would happen. And Lincoln didn't actually want someone to die. Although James Shield is like, someone needs to die. Lincoln's plan was, you know, he's this tall man. He plans to use his height against shields. And on the day of the duel, they like turn towards each other. Lincoln has this massive, they both have these big swords, but Lincoln's so big. He strikes the sword above James's head, like swinging a tree branch, like a massive tree. And the thing almost falls on top of shield, which I think scared him enough that they called it off. Oh, okay, good. So no one dies. Is there a chance for like a rebuttal? If you don't want that to be a weapon, could the other person be like, you should choose something else or you have to go by the rules the other person? I do think there are very strict dual rules. What would you choose? Hmm. I think I might choose a, I can't really remember the name of them. Was it like a skip it? Remember that thing that you had to put around your ankle and you'd, those are. Honestly, just putting it on yourself was brutal. Exactly. Except People for- would give up. There were some they made with chalk where you could put chalk in the bottom of the skippet. And so when you would turn it around your ankle, it would draw circles with the chalk. That's a great way to enter a duel. Just give them all chalk stuff and then they get distracted by just like creating art (laughs) below them. (laughs) It's an art duel. (laughs) I don't know what I would pick. Um, I want to pick something weird. Tissues? Pool noodle? A A pool noodle, did you just say? Yeah. That's a good one. A kazoo, have a kazoo off. <laughs> a recorder, just make everyone's ears bleed. 
Hot cross buns. <laughs> Any childhood tool is basically your <laughs> go-to. I love where your brain goes. Like when any question is brought up, your brain probably, I feel like you have a catalog of the 90s to 2000s that is like front of mind. It's because I don't remember anything from age like 13 to 16 because of bullying. So Mm. I only remember early childhood and then after. (laughs) (laughs) There's the before and then there's the after. It's very present in my mind because it was the only thing that was happening for like three years of blacking out. See, I think I only exist in the present. Anything before today is repressed. (laughs) Constantly experiencing trauma. Who cares? We're living in the future. Every second you're moving forward. So that's all that matters. It's the future. I can see. It's the future. That's so Sabrina. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. So the duel happened. No one died. Cool. But Alton, Illinois was also an important town for abolitionists as Illinois was a free state. But Missouri, which was right across the Mississippi River, was not. So a lot of people would escape and flee into Illinois. And many of the homes were equipped with tunnels and hiding places and served as parts of the Underground Railroad. Oh. But sadly, while many slaves were able to escape through Alton, Illinois, there were a lot that were murdered or taken back into slave states because slave trappers would like hide out in Alton, Illinois to bring them back to Missouri. How shitty of a human do you have to be to have that as your job? Yeah. The first Illinois penitentiary was built in Alton. It was used during the Civil War to house prisoners of war. And I think at like one given time during the Civil War, there were over 12,000 Confederate soldiers held in this penitentiary, which I guarantee it was not built to withstand that many people. So, Corinne, I wrote this down for you. Just think of and picture the smells. I knew you were going to talk about smells. The hygiene (laughs) or lack thereof nastiness. So gross. Well, because I knew you were going to think about the smells. So this is reminding me of there was some event, I think I told you this, where people would dramatically read letters written by historical figures. And there were like notable actors and stuff doing Mm -hmm. these readings. And there was one historical figure whose name I cannot remember for the life of me off the top of my head. I like how you tried to pull the memory out of your brain. Like what? I'm trying, but I know it's not there. And if I guessed, it would be wrong. But ask you the name of characters from cartoons. You got them. Test me on Rugrats or (laughs) Rocket Power and I'm there, baby. No, but he had written to his wife and I was like, I will be back next week. Make sure to not bathe for at least three days because he wanted her. He wanted the stank. He wanted the stank. He wanted to taste all the flavor. So some people liked how gross it was. I will say, in my life, there are certain people that their smell smells good. Like their stank is like an attractive mm. Like it's a pheromone thing, you know, we're animals. Yeah, it is. Although when Brian had COVID, I was like, I could smell it on him. And oh. I was like, this is not good. I, this is gross. You're like, I need to stay away from you for until you are better. I also had COVID though. So it's probably, <laughs> I was probably smelling a little bit of myself too. <laughs> There's also a mass grave for Confederate soldiers who died during the war on the north side of Alton. And 
Sadly, at this same time, there was a smallpox epidemic that killed a lot of the Confederate soldiers and a lot of people in Alton. I think there were like some 2,000 men, women, and children who died between 1863 and 1864. Jeez. And then these last two stories, while not paranormal, are just kind of like the nails in the coffin to argue against Mark Twain's dismal description of the town. Alton, Illinois was home to the world's tallest man, Robert Pershing Wadlow. He was eight feet, 11.1 inches tall. He is pictured next to two women who are our height. He was 439 pounds, but he's just so tall. How is this real? It's sad. He had hypertrophy of his pituitary gland, which resulted in abnormally high level of human growth hormone. And because of this, I mean, humans are not meant to be this tall or this large. He did die at 22 years old because of health complications. Yeah. I wonder where he's buried because I feel like if we don't keep proper... Okay, great. Because I'm just thinking like humans in 3,000 years are going to excavate that area and be like, holy shit, giants were real. He is buried in the Oakwood Cemetery in Alton, Illinois. And the earth is raised. I mean, he's buried six feet below, but they specifically raised the ground so that people could understand the height that he was. So it's like the eight feet and 11 inches raised and it has like a plaque to him. So you can, yeah, walk the distance of his body. Correct. And then there is a memorial to him, including a life-size statue and a replica of the chair because all of his things had to be custom made. And Mm. they stand on College Avenue across from the Southern Illinois University Dental School. So if you visit Alton, Illinois, you can visit this. So home to the world's tallest man. And in 1937, the local fishing community was plagued by something. They were unable to catch any fish because all of their traps kept getting destroyed. The wood traps Mm. and their mesh traps were being destroyed underwater. So they were like, there must be some type of fish that's large and destroying everything. We must catch it and trap it and get rid of it so that we can continue with our business as usual. So these two commercial fishermen build a strong wire trap and put chicken guts as bait inside of it. They Mm -hmm. came back the next morning and it worked. They slowly pull their trap out of the water and it is heavy. And they're like, what is this? So it's like the world's most giant catfish. Well, they're stunned to find it is no fish at all. It is a shark. In Illinois? In the Mississippi River. Fuck. It was a bull shark then. Yeah. Because they swim in rivers. They swim far upstream. They scare the shit out of me. They're so aggressive. Those are the ones that always kill people. Everyone gets afraid of great white sharks. Bull sharks. It was a bull shark. Bull sharks are the one that will eat someone in the bay six feet off of land. Yeah. Well, this one did not, but they caught it. It was five feet long and they ended up putting the shark on display in Calhoun Fish Market. And so hordes of people are coming to the market and looking at this shark, but then it started to smell. And so they had to get rid of it. But I read an article and apparently there's like this guy who was like, my dad was friends with, or like my grandfather was friends friends with the bull shark. No, friends with the fishermen, and apparently it was all a hoax, but there's no way to verify that. Oh. I don't know. People were like, oh, they wanted to draw a business. Yeah. Well, how far up the Mississippi was it? 
It's in Alton, Illinois. I don't know how far up the Mississippi. Okay. <laughs> I just was confirming that it was in Illinois. Because I said in Illinois and you said in the Mississippi River. So I was like, wait, did I miss part of the story? And it was, they were traveling more south. Oh, no, it's in, it's in Illinois. Yeah. Okay. Clearly, Alton, Illinois is not as dismal as Mark Twain put it. It's full of history and spirit. And as you know, quite a lot of death and some crime. And the one thing is like, you could say that about a lot of places in the world, that there's a lot of death, a lot of crime, a lot of history. So why then is Alton, Illinois said to be so much more haunted than all other places in the world? Well, remember those limestone bluffs that surround the town? Oh. Limestone is an organic material that is said to hold information. It's magic. It's magic. And so Alton is surrounded by these limestone bluffs. There's so much running water through this town. The combination Mm -hmm. of the water and the limestone, like there's just this kind of echo chamber in Alton, Illinois, that retains the history of the land. It's like its own little vortex. It's like a time capsule, a vortex that recalls the history of the land, the memory, and is actually alive. The stories in the history sometimes bleeds into this world, oozing residual energy and sometimes is more than residual, but also active energy. It imprints on the town of Alton and has since led to Alton, Illinois, becoming known as one of the most paranormally active towns and the most haunted small town in all of America. Dang. I honestly forgot that there was even a haunted part of this episode because with the mystery of the bull shark and the dragon bird creature, I feel like it's already creepy enough. It's so fascinating. With all of that as history, you understand why it's the perfect place for hauntings. Right. I'm going to quote another literary great. William Faulkner once wrote, the past is never dead. It's not even past. And I think that is a perfect way to describe Alton, Illinois. Because what is time, baby? What is time? (laughs) So like I said in the beginning of this, I'm not going to be able to cover every single place that's haunted and every single ghost of Alton, Illinois, but I am going to cover kind of the the hotspot haunts. And then if you come join us on Patreon, you'll get an episode entirely about the Mineral Springs Hotel because it's extremely haunted. And there's like 30 plus ghosts that haunt that hotel specifically. Whoa. Yeah. So I'm going to hit the hotspots and then maybe, I don't know, drive up tourism to Alton, Illinois. I don't know if they need that, but maybe we all go head out there because they have so many ghost tours. But I'm going to begin with the McPike Mansion. The picture is also like a very haunting image. It almost reminds me of the visual image of American Horror House House. Oh, I was thinking the house in Coven. Or even that. Yeah. You're thinking season one. I'm thinking what, season four or something? But yeah, no, totally. Beautiful though. Oh, and the red brick. Stunning. The McPike Mansion is a grand Italian Victorian home that was built in 1869. And the estate was 15 acres. It was built for Henry Guest McPike. The home was complete with 11 marble fireplaces, beautiful, elaborate crown molding, intricately carved banisters. It was Like no stone was unturned. It was just like a very, very elaborate and beautiful home. And Henry, this man, he wore many hats. He was a horticulturist who 
while living in this mansion, perfected his Mick Pike grape. And if you look it up, it's like a grape varietal. It's a dark purple oh. grape. Was he a winemaker or he just really loved grapes? Well, see, so he, he was a horticulturist, so he just loved plants. And yeah. there's 15 acres and he was known to plant some like the most incredible trees, plants, shrubs, things that no one had ever heard of at the time. And then he would do like the biological cross-contamination of species. Oh, to like create. grafting trees together to create yeah. new varieties. Yeah. So cool. But in addition to being a horticulturist, Henry McPike also served as the mayor of Alton. He was a <laughs> fire insurance investor and wow. an industrialist and owned over 700 properties. Hey, he's proof you can live many lives all at the same time. And he was also a known abolitionist. And so a lot of people believe that he, there's no written evidence or documents of this, but people believe that he really helped with the Underground Railroad. And like I said, he owned 700 properties. People believe that he would use his businesses as a part of the Underground Railroad and move people through them. That's very smart. Henry and his family lived in the home until 1910 when Henry passed away. The house then passed through some other businesses and other people. It was a boarding house at a point. But then this man who owned the boarding house, his name was Paul Lakinger. I think that's how you say it. When he passed away, sadly, the house became abandoned. Like no one bought it. No one owned it. And people would go in and loot the house. Like people literally stole everything. They removed banisters, the marble, They even stole the toilets. Like this home was just desecrated. Wow. Yeah. And it was marked for demolition because it was so dangerous. Like truly walls were starting to cave in. Like people couldn't walk on the floors. It was so dangerous to be inside that it was going to be demolished. People must have not cared that the looting was happening either. Because I'm thinking about how heavy it would be to take down what, like 11 marble mantles over the fireplace. Yeah. That doesn't just happen really quickly in a 20-minute robbery. I mean, it had 15 acres, and I think it was like up on a hill. So it was kind of by itself that I imagine people Mm. were able to get in there. Okay. But yeah, I don't think people cared. I think no one cared enough to really prioritize its safety. And then I don't know why it wasn't demolished, but in 1994, this couple, Sharon and George Luke, I think that's how you say it, On impulse. So this house is like on auction in 1994. And on impulse, this couple's like, let's just buy it. And (laughs) when they went to go view what they bought, they were like, oh my gosh, this needs so much work. I think it cost $50,000 just to replace the roof. Like it was money pit, money pit. It's a project, but they like really, really, truly cared about it. It is now on the national register of historic places and has been protected. And so more people are spending money to like help rebuild and restore Restore it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a lot of programs now that will help and give money to homeowners to restore things back to like their historical accurate place. Yes. And I do think it has gotten to a much better place. But when Sharon and George first bought the home, they were doing a lot of the work by themselves. And they would notice even though there was no electricity set up in the home because it was like turned off, they would see flashes of light zoom through rooms. They would see shadows and all of these weird things that shouldn't be happening. They would hear noises and they Mm -hmm. were like, what is going on? 
And basically the inside of the home, the interior was a lot of work. And so they had to hire a lot of people to help them with that. But Sharon really liked gardening. So she would spend a lot of her days out in the land of the property and garden. And there was a period of time before they ever had any contractors or anyone in the house to help them fix it up that she would go up there and garden. And every single time, well, actually the first time she's gardening, she's sitting out there and all of a sudden she feels eyes on her and she's like, that's like weird. So she looks up towards the house and sees a man standing inside the house, looking at her through a window. And she's obviously freaked out because she's like, mm-hmm. no one else is here. Who is this man? Why is he in the home? Right. This is a dangerous, like he's up on the second story. The floors are about to cave in. Like no one should be up there and no one's in the house. So she like scared and freaked out, like goes to investigate and no one's in the house. She goes out back to the garden. Again, same feeling, looks up, same man. And this happens Every time she's in the garden, she feels eyes on her. She will look up and it is the same man wearing the same suit and same tie over and over. And do you think it's the horticulturist? No, you would think so. But as they're renovating the home and like looking through the history of the home, they find a photo of the man who owned the boarding house, Paul Leishinger. She's like, that's him. That's the man. Why did I suddenly become suspicious of him that he used to like murder people in the boarding house and bury them in the garden i don't that's think why so. he's watching every time because that is a story that has happened but i think he was a good man a lot of the spirits in this house are like they're all as far as i know they're all very positive hauntings okay they're just curious they're looking for some entertainment yeah and watching someone garden is yeah something to do and maybe he was just curious like now there's this woman who is investing time into this home mm-hmm. people have witnessed full body apparitions. Like people think there are other people there. Both Henry McPike and his wife, Eleanor, have been seen in full body apparition. And there's a photo of both of them side by side. And after seeing these two, people will confirm based on photos. They'll be like, that's 100% them. Wow. The house is smoke-free, but Paul, the man who owned the boarding house, was a big smoker. And so the house is like, constantly smells like smoke because he's just lingering around. (laughs) There are a bunch of spirits. There's a young girl named Sarah who smells like lilac perfume. There's a woman in green dress who is seen standing on the stairwell. There are a bunch of children said to be running around and laughing, which is pleasant. Spirits like to move things, turn lights on. They also like to uh, photobomb photos. And today, to help fund restorations, they host tours, both historical and paranormal, and they have seances. Of course they do. And I guess this is a very common thing now because The Conjuring House does this, and this house has 15 acres of land. They host camping, and it's like an overnight ghostly camping experience that you can do in the fall months. I wonder if people ever see anyone else just like wandering the property at night ghostly figures or if they're mostly inside and if you're outside camping and you look up you can you have a better chance of seeing them through the windows interesting you just got to stay up all night and find them i guess guess so or maybe you don't even have to because i think they're they're very active okay so then another building in alton illinois is the morrison's irish pub which back in the day was alton's first national bank 
And apparently there's a spirit of a bank robber who haunts there because on Halloween night back in 1868, a patrolman named L.H. Viley surprised a group of men who had broken into the bank. Unfortunately, this man, Filey, was killed and he haunts his former home, which is on State Street in Alton, Illinois. And the bandits made off only with the coins that were in the teller's cages. Basically, this man Hmm. stopped them from stealing most of the money. And since the Irish pub, Morrison's Irish pub opened in 2015, coins mysteriously go missing. Like any change goes missing throughout the entire building. Well, why are you leaving your change around? If I were a bank robber and had tendencies or if I were just myself in spirit form and I'm like, oh, there's a coin that someone seems to not be missing. Shoot. Yeah. If you're a bank robber, you're going to keep coming for it. Yeah. This isn't locked away. It's just on the counter for anyone to take. In the article that I read, the person who had written the article was like, there's a belief that one of the bank robbers is trying to make amends for like the money they stole. And I'm like, by stealing more? That yeah. doesn't make what? sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I think they're still robbing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know what they do with that money, but okay. The Milton Schoolhouse was a school for over 80 years. The tallest man in the world attended elementary school there. It is now a residential and commercial property. So it's two floors. The first floor is commercial businesses. And then the second floor is apartments. And it is said to be very haunted. Like people will hear children running around, see full body apparitions. I think I'd much rather work there than live there. But Mm -hmm. as far as I know, none of the hauntings are terrifying or scary. I don't know. But it was featured on taps. The old penitentiary, this is one of the scariest hauntings. So the old penitentiary, which I said where the Confederate soldiers were held, it has since been demolished and there's now just a massive parking lot right there. But people hate going to the cars late at night because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they will come face to face with a Confederate soldier with boils on their skin and like clearly suffering from smallpox. It feels so real. They are so lifelike that it's so horrifying, but all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. They disappear. That makes me sad, too, that in their afterlife, unless it's a residual haunting, which hopefully it is, but if it's not, it makes me really sad that they're still in so much pain and probably in one of the worst moments of their life, just like filled with these blisters and boils and and wandering around looking for relief, reprieve from the life they're currently trapped in. Yeah, I don't know, because it's also like even though the building is gone, people will hear phantom screams strange sounds and like muffled conversations. It almost Mm. feels like the building still exists in another realm and it sometimes bleeds into this one. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like residual in the sense that it's a moment from the past bleeding into the present or if it is an active haunting, like it just exists and all the ghosts are there. Mm -hmm. Also, because we talked about it being kind of like this own little vortex, it makes me wonder if Every moment in time that existed here is almost like I'm thinking of it as like an echo chamber and everything that's said or experienced is moving through space and it's like an echo and sometimes you hear it. Yeah. When it hits that part. And it like bounces off of the limestone or it like reverberates off of the waters. Yeah. I don't know. There's also this is kind of sad. Okay. So there's an infamous haunting at what was the hotel called the Mansion House. It burned down in 2010 
I don't know if it was rebuilt into apartment buildings and if they're still hauntings, but there was a man named Tom Boothby who lived in this hotel. He was a retired soldier who suffered from a lot of PTSD and had in the war taken many lives. So Mm. in his suffering from PTSD, he would have a lot of, lot of nightmares and he would wake up in the middle of the night screaming, like terrible screams that would wake up other guests. So people were haunted by Tom, but poor Tom was having nightmares that the spirits of the people he had killed in battle were coming back to him for revenge and were going to take him and kill him. That's so sad. Tom was found dead. He had died of natural causes, but he had died in his sleep. So there's some like belief that the spirits who were haunting him in his nightmares did end up getting him. Yeah, in the astral realm, perhaps. His soul never made it back in time. And you would think that the hauntings would stop because the hauntings were haunting Tom. But then when Tom passed away, instead of him screaming from his nightmares, guests were the ones screaming because Tom would appear at their bedside. Yeah. What is he looking for? (laughs) I don't know. But then the building burnt down and I think the hauntings stopped. Or if there are hauntings and Tom still haunts that area, then like people aren't really experiencing it because no one's sleeping there Mm -hmm. anymore. And then, like I said, Mineral Springs Hotel is extremely haunted. And sadly, due to the length of this episode already, I am going to reserve it for a Patreon episode. But it's so fascinating. Today, it actually operates as a healing spiritual business. Ooh. Yeah. There's a couple that bought it. The name sounds healing. You know, it's like yeah. Mineral Springs Hotel. But ghosts are seen throughout all of the town. There are phantom nuns, children, women in black, which could be the nuns. There are ship captains. That People hear phantom screams just like outside. <laughs> and this is just normal. This is a part of living in Alton, Illinois. It's basically Halloween town meets human realm every day. I like to think that the phantom screams are because part of the Mineral Springs Hotel healing facility is like scream therapy where people just go outside and they scream and all the spirits that are visiting there or happening upon it are like oh interesting i'm gonna try that and just randomly (laughs) they'll go outside and be like "Ah!" Like they're going through the healing retreat as well (laughs) maybe i just like to picture like you know there's a lot of coyotes near where i live so like occasionally you'll hear coyotes like howling and you're like oh it's just a coyote like i'm not gonna do anything about it I imagine that in Alton, there's just like screams and they're like, ah, it's just the ghosts. Nothing you can do about it's just it. just the ghosts. Oh, a woman's scream, not a coyote, just a ghost. Just a ghost. So if you want to know more, you can come join us for the Patreon episode, or you can also read the book called Haunted Alton, written by Troy Taylor, or you can visit Alton, Illinois and attend one of their many ghost tours. They have walking tours, bus tours, they have dinner tours, they have overnights. They have so many events because Alton, Illinois is not dismal, Mark Twain. It (laughs) is haunted AF and there is a lot going on in this most haunted small town in America. I want to go. Let's go. It feels like we would, a coffee shop that we stop at, walking in front of someone's house, just taking a, a leisurely stroll through a neighborhood. It feels like we'd encounter something or at least get a lot of stories. From people, I agree. A particular agree. energy. This should be a Lilydale, don't you think? Well, it's interesting because Lilydale 
almost feels like a bunch of people gathered there and have made it paranormal and spiritual. Whereas yeah. Alton is like, it just, it is. It's like a vortex. It just and is. It and just other is. people live there and they're like, we coexist part here. of our day. Yeah. It just is what it is. You're right. It's kind of like a real life Halloween town. Remember when we were looking at real estate in Lilydale and there was this one and we were like, should we buy it? Because <laughs> it was like $250,000 and we're like, we could do this. Coming from people who live in LA and Boston, which is some of the most expensive real estate market, that felt extremely And it was like a low. six bedroom house. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. We're like, let's just both move here permanently. <laughs> we can each have three rooms. I wonder how much real estate is in Alton, Illinois. Should we buy there? Have a two girls, one ghost Airbnb cottage situation? A retreat. Yeah. For all of us. I like the idea. Okay. I have a listener story. This is from Avery, A-V-R-E-E. First time I've ever seen that spelling. Yeah, I like that. Hello, beautiful ghostesses, Sven and Queen Kitty Cat Leia. My name is Avery, like Avery, but cooler. (laughs) Wait, oh, I do want to say something real quick. So yeah, in episode 252, which was like the last episode of 2023, I talked about Leia's little glitch. A couple vets. Oh, yeah responded to the YouTube video when they were like, that might be hyperesthesia. I think that's what it's called. And it's like a sensitive skin, like sensitivity issue that like is actually a problem. So I'm taking her to the vet. God bless the podcast because and thank you for saying that because there's probably going to yeah. be other people that are like, oh yeah, my pet does that weird thing too. Right. And it's what we think is just like a cute little like, yeah, could be something more. The way it is right now, it's not like a, like it hasn't gotten really bad, but it can get worse. And so I, I'm not a vet, you know, I didn't look up all this stuff. So this is why I'm taking her to a professional, but basically it can get worse and there's different things that could be causing it. So it's something to get looked at. Hmm. Well, keep us updated. I will. Poor little Leia. She goes through so much. She's okay. She's very loved. <laughs> yeah, she is. She doesn't even remember any of her medical problems because <laughs> she's like, mm, food, food. <laughs> food and the great outdoors and cottage life and birds. She's living the life. She is. Okay. I've been listening for a while now after your morbid collab, and I love, love, love you guys. Encounters are always playing in my house, in my car, in my man's truck, everywhere. (laughs) My daughter is six, and she's always saying, mom's got her podcast in again. (laughs) It's us. My family's always been super open to the paranormal and very in tune with energies. My grandma always told us growing up that practical magic was written about the women in our family. So, Obs, that's what my daughter thinks. So And she's constantly asking me when she'll be old enough to fly on her broom and dance under the moon naked. (laughs) I want to grow up in your family. Can you be my godmother? That sounds so fun. Can you adopt us? I'm writing y'all today with an experience about my sister's father. Also, I'm going to add some information about Alton, Illinois, which is known for being like haunted as fuck. If you're down, let's do some ghost tours and have a haunted ghosty dinner. Let's do it. Also, can I just say, we've actually had quite a few emails from people from Alton, Illinois. Really? Yeah. I was shocked. That's so cool. I'll have to do a whole encounters episode with them. I mean, I guess it does make sense that if you live in Alton, Illinois, which is known to be so haunted that you would be into the ghosts and the paranormal. Right. 
No one ever wants to go to the haunted spots with me, but my bitch ass will not go alone. (laughs) Anywho. (laughs) Here's a story about how I ran into my sister's dead daddy-o at the gas station. Oh. I live in a small town in Illinois. No, not by Chicago. I'm about 40 to 50 minutes from St. Louis. So when I tell people where I'm from, naturally, I'm from right outside of St. Louis on the Illinois side of the river. Very Midwest, corn-fed description. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing here except Walmart, fast food chains, and Goodwill. Oh, and plenty of gas stations. Have you had Casey's Pizza? It's a delicacy around these parts. I want pizza right now. We didn't get to go there. No. We did try to hit up all the gas stations, though, (laughs) on on our route. I've always been sensitive to the paranormal. I'll sage any new place that I live in or any new place that my mom lives in. Any new place anyone lives in, honestly. Just give me a call. (laughs) You're a good friend to have. Yeah, definitely. This tale is either paranormal or my mind just being weird and overdramatic. I have three siblings, my brother Elijah and my baby sister Amaya. No one can ever pronounce it, so I figured I would help. Okay, so hopefully I did pronounce it correctly. They said a dash. M-Y-A. Uh, my, uh. Yeah. My brother and I share the same father. Total dick cheese sewer rat. I don't know <laughs> where he is. <laughs> and my sister's dad, Joe, is also a dick cheese, but he was in my life for a while and taught me how to ride my bike and did fatherly things with me when I was younger. October 31st, 2018, Halloween, he passed away. Hmm. He was in a car accident in our hometown in Indiana. And we lived over here in Illinois for about 13 years and hadn't seen him in probably seven years at that point. Sad. Rough estimate because time is an illusion. Joe was Joe, and even though he had his demons, he loved so big, and we really always loved him too. He had so much potential, but he chose a different path. Fast forward a few days after his passing, I stopped at a gas station that advertises liquor and cigarettes with big colorful lights in the windows because I needed a Dr. Pepper from the soda fountain, of course. (laughs) My back was to the door of the gas station, so I couldn't see who came and went, but I noticed the smell of diesel and cigarettes, a very distinct smell that I haven't smelled in years, like since I was six. And I was brought back to when I was six again, and Joe was working on his Bronco outside, and my brother and I were playing in the dirt. Hmm. I turned my head slowly, and I almost puked. I was frozen because he was right there. (gasps) Joe just walked into the gas station, and now he was in line buying cigarettes. I stood there frozen and sweaty and I just stared. I watched him come into the gas station and then I watched him leave. I couldn't pay for my drink until he was gone because there was no motherfucking way. And once I paid for my drink, I ran to my car and I locked the doors and I called my mom immediately. Hi, Danielle. (laughs) I love the shout out in the middle of this. I explained what just happened and was literally on the verge of tears when she said, no way, Avery. Something weird happened today to me. I got a child support payment from him. A what? From who? Dead Joe came into the gas station and paid you money? He only had been gone for a few days at this point. The service hadn't even happened yet. It was so odd and so real, and to this day I feel in my gut that it really was him. He may have had his demons and done some really shitty things, but I think that that day he was letting me and my mom know that he's okay and he's at peace. The day he died, my mom said to me, Avery, he's finally done running. He didn't want to run anymore. And she was right, no matter how painful it was to accept. My sister gave my brother and I some of Joe's ashes, and I can't explain how much that meant to me. He hangs out on my bookshelf with all of my smut. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Not what I expected to be next to his ashes. Oh, by the way, our next Patreon book that we're reading, because we do like a little quarterly book read, we're reading Akatar. So uh, that's our first dabble into fairy smut. So fairy please, smut. Avery and everyone else, give us the smut recommendations, because maybe it'll be a genre smut that it sticks. Smut it up. We're smut sluts. <laughs> <laughs> Every so often, I give him a good shake and say, gotta get a workout in today, Joe. <laughs> or the occasional, you fucking suck, Joe. <laughs> oh my, God. my biggest takeaway from all of this has been that no matter the demons that someone is fighting, the decisions they make or the path that they choose, it's okay and it's normal to still love them. It's okay to hurt and to separate yourself from them. And it's also okay to love them so much. He was the closest thing that I've ever had to a dad. And I know every single day that he's so proud of us. And we miss him all the time. So now, Alton, Illinois. It was home to the world's tallest man, a man-eating bird. But it's also fucking haunted. (laughs) And then they go on to list like basically all the places that you just listed. And then it says, please check this place out. Love you ladies so much. Thank you for having your door open always for those that are spooky and kooky from Avery. So I think Avery either lives in Alton or right by Alton because it sounds like the description. Right. Which I'll say when I was going through all the emails that people sent from Alton, none of them were about places that are like notoriously haunted. They were all about people's own experiences with the paranormal in their own homes. Right. And so I was thinking like, again, it's this little portal. It's this little vortex. And it just seems like more stuff is able to happen more frequently and more intensely where we're getting ghost stories from people because they're near here. I'm picturing it like Halloween town where like ghosts are just a plen- as a plenty as humans. Like you walk past mm. the good old goldsmith's home and you see ghostly lady in gray poking her head out the window, waving good morning. And she's like, hey. <laughs> it's the Beauty and the Beast opening, but it's all ghosts. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now we need more people from Alton, Illinois to message us and just tell us what life is like. Or we go visit. Yeah, that's okay. true. We can just go there. Let's go. Well, what a time. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Please email us your Alton, Illinois, or any of your ghost stories at all at podcast at gmail.com. Join us on Patreon for the bonus episode this month about the Mineral Springs Hotel and... We have so many other bonuses on Patreon. There's only one tier. It's $5 a month. You get every single episode one week early and ad-free, plus bonus content, plus campfire stories, and you get to hang out with us. Go check it out. Yeah. We appreciate your support. We do. Shout out to Jamie, who edits our video and our audio. Yeah. Shout out to all of you. We love you. And we will see you. See you. On the other side.